Well, it's good to be back, and you know, it feels like a year ago since I was here, right? Um, well, it wasn't a year ago, but it was a different year, and this is kind of cool that we're kicking off 2024 with getting back to our series in Matthew, and we're getting ready to celebrate communion today, and it, it's just such an appropriate passage for us to be thinking as we propel forward. I, I, I would say I'm not a big, you know, resolution guy because I, I'm a big goals guy. So I mean, those seem to correspond. But from a spiritual resolution, you know, we're we're, we're trying to live out uh, Christ every day, right? And that shouldn't be just because the calendar changes. And so I try to reject that concept, but. But it's good to have a vision. It's good to have a plan. Uh, it's good to have something that you can kind of focus in on and say, you know what, I'm going to do this better. And then take a look at where you're at and kind of have your uh, barometers, your guidelines, your, your, your benchmarks to say, you know what, I have done better. Uh, inch by inch. Uh, I think sometimes we... We think that we make these giant leaps, right? We, we wake up one day and, and, you know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are, you know, the wealthiest people on earth. Well, it didn't happen overnight for them. It was, it was slow and it happened inch by inch. We just happened to see the end result. Well, it's the same for us spiritually. And as we're battling and fighting sin, it, it's, it's a day-to-day process of eliminating, you know, as Colossians 3 says, putting on and putting off, right? We, we get rid of things in our lives, and, and we add good things to our lives. We add the word, we add our fellowship, we add, you know, things that, that haven't been in our lives, and, and we put them in that are, that are positive. So we're coming today, and we're looking at Matthew 3, and, and the title is Four Reasons to Repent. And so I really can't think of a better way for us to launch the year than to really focus on that. There's several reasons why I say that, but the main one is when you look at the the coming of Jesus, and we've talked about this before, that that the great sermon of the coming of Jesus was repeated by two men, Jesus' forerunners, John the Baptist, and Jesus himself. It was a simple sermon. Repent. Repent. Well, today we get a chance to kind of take a look at what that means. And, and I want to start with a very familiar uh, verse that it, it's so good. And, and this is why you know, people still to this day, I just noticed yesterday at a football game, when I was growing up, people would set up for a field goal, right? And, and you just see like this picture of a field goal. And some guy right behind it would flash up this sign, John 3.16. Yeah. You know? And then it like disappeared for 15 years. I don't know what happened. But I'm starting to see that again. And it's like, you know what you're looking at? For God so loved the world. God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that's what Christmas is, right? That God so loved the world that Emmanuel, God with us, came. God so loved the world. Um... He gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 
Now, we tend to think about that phrase and that, that verse, and we think, okay, God so loved the world, and all those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. Right? And, and we forget that, well, for those who believe. And, and so maybe if we said a little bit, but for those who don't believe, you will have eternal punishment. <clears throat> now, it doesn't say that, but it says you, you will not perish. So that is what it's saying. And that is literally what we're becoming a conflict with is we love the, 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 the good news, right? We love that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What a, what a beautiful verse. That Jesus comes on earth and is seeking us out. Why? To save us. Why? Because we're lost. We're utterly lost. We are looking and searching for, for the wrong thing in all the wrong places. We're, we're lost. And so Jesus has come to save us from ourselves, really. Isaiah tells us that the, the Prince of Peace, right, Almighty God, uh, the Savior of the world is going to come. And so what an exciting thing to behold, and that's exactly what happened during Christmas, and the Lamb of God did come. And again, we say these things, Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? No big deal. But what is the Lamb of God? The Lamb is the sacrificial Lamb that is placed on the altar and slain. It's a graphic picture. You know, we have these cute little pictures of, you know, cartoonish, you know, little lammies, and they're sweet, and you know, the cutest little girl has the cutest little lamby, and it's all so cute and lovely. And it's like, no, it's a lamb slaughtered and blood splattered all over the place and dripping down the altar. And the, and the priest has blood all over him. So where he has to have a labor over here to go and, and, and wash up to do it all over again. So we just don't think like that. But that's the real picture of who the Lamb of God is, but we always want to think of angels and, you know, Jesus in the clouds like this, right? All pretty and white and, well, that's part of it, but it's not the whole picture. There's two sides. And so, like, like the Israelites, like the Jews, who just kind of started floating along, and, you know, they're, they're distracted by life, they're they start neglecting the things of the Lord. They, they're distracted and they neglect. So then they forget who God is, who Jesus is. And that ultimately will result in a rejection. Well, we're no different than the Israelites. And you and I are no different. The longer, now, now hear me, the longer you've been a believer, the more likely you are to fall into this pattern of neglect. That's scary. That means that people who've been of faith the longest, the people who should be the most mature, the people who know the most Bible verses, you, you actually are the ones. I'm the one who actually has to be careful of, of just not floating away, and you don't even realize it. Well, well, no, I'm good, I'm good. No, you're not good. You've been distracted by life. And 
be sure that you know there are consequences to not just disobedience, blatant disobedience. There's consequences from turning your eyes off the Lord. Just like there would be in any relationship. Right? I, yeah, I'm married. I've been married for 30 years, but I don't really need to hang out with my wife, right? What's the big deal? No, we don't even need to sleep in the same bed. You know, we have, we're like, you know, the, I love Lucy. We have two beds. But actually, you know, I snore. So, you know, go on the other side of the room and, you know, we have two rooms and that works out better. Well, you know, I'm kind of a night out. I like to read. So, you know, let's have a little guest house. It's like, before, it's like, well, yeah, we don't ever really see each other. We have no relationship. See, now that's not going to work, right? The marriage would dissolve just by neglect. So we want to look at these four reasons why we need to repent. Or there will be judgment. There will be blood on our heads. Four reasons. The first one is the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The second one is the wrath of God is to come. The third reason we need to repent is the axe is laid at the root. The axe is laid at the root. And then the final reason is the winnowing fork is at hand. So we're going to see this in, in Matthew 3. But first, remember, I kind of, you know, my Bible is a little bit bigger because I have the giant print. Um, but all of this is Old Testament, right? All of this is, is the, the precursor to the coming of Christ. And, and so there were 456 prophecies. That means for at least 500 years, some 2,000 years prior to Jesus' coming, prophecies about Jesus' coming, those included not just him as Messiah, him as king, him as the sacrificial lamb, but also him as judge. Uh, come with me to Luke 1. Luke 1, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. Zacharias um, remember, he was doubting things, and so he you know, couldn't speak, right? And so when John the Baptist is finally born, he's, he's restored, uh, restored to speak. Well, this is what he says coming out of the gate, right? After nine months of not talking, thinking about who this John the Baptist is, Zacharias prophesies, verse 67 of Luke 1. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this isn't him just being some old white sage. This is, this is God speaking through him, through prophecy, which is by the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in the house of David, his servant. So speaking about Jesus. Jesus has been raised up. He's from the house of David. Who is the king? He's bringing the redemption, the horn of salvation. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, from of old, salvation from our enemies and from, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, a reference to the Abrahamic covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, 
might serve him without fear. How? In holiness. How? In righteousness. Before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. So John the Baptist is going to be the prophet of the Most High, to go before Jesus, to give this message. What's the message? To give them a knowledge of salvation. Again, salvation is not just a word. Salvation means to be saved, right? To be saved from what? From your sin. How? By Jesus Christ, right? By the forgiveness of their sins. See, the Bible doesn't shy away from these terms. We do. We don't want to talk to our family and friends about their sin, their rejection of God, their eternity in hell, their perishing if they don't believe. Well, God doesn't pull any punches. Well, look, why should we? There's forgiveness for sin. That's not an accusation. That's not a judgment. That's not an attack. That's hope. That's the good news. We have the good news. We bring salvation. I'm here to save you. Right? How? By the forgiveness of sins. I love this next verse, 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Our God is tender. He's tender. He's merciful. What's mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. You deserve a whooping. You did it. You got caught doing it. You knew it was wrong. You deserve the ultimate punishment but because of tender mercy. God is merciful. He's merciful. He's merciful. But he judges. And we'll get to that. Because the tender mercy of our, our God with which the Son rise from the high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this is the background. The background is, okay, so everything's dark. Why? Because there's sin and we need salvation and we can't save ourselves from our sin and and by this time for Israel, they even have the added bonus of having Rome, a foreign occupier, mandating dictating them physically. So spiritually they're a mess. Physically in their statehood they're a mess. Nothing's going right. And so, what does John the Baptist come and say? Well, the first reason to repent is the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't worry about Rome. Stop worrying about who the president is. Stop worrying about the conflicts all over the world. Do you understand that the kingdom of God is at hand? Verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, for, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. So, what's happening here? Well, Here's John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of Jesus, right? That's what his daddy said he was going to do. 
He's going to be the one talking about the forerunners, talking about the horn of salvation, who's, who's going to bring about the forgiveness of sins. And, and he comes preaching. Okay, that's, that's the, 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 the speaking, right? The communicating. What's he preaching? Well, we see in Mark 1, 4, he's preaching about the forgiveness of sins. That's the topic. The, the preaching is forgiveness of sins, not six ways how to you know, uh, worship better, not you know, three ways on how to follow. He, his preaching is about this critical issue of forgiveness of sin. Why? Because there's sin in the camp. Why? Because a couple of you have been sinning. Why? Because we all sin. We all sin when we stand before the throne of God. So, we need the forgiveness of sin. And he says in verse 2, repent. First thing, repent. What's this word repent? We've looked at it before, but let's be clear. The idea of repent in the Greek is to change one's first one's mind. In order to repent, you have to change the way you think. So a man thinketh, he liveth. This is why education, school, is so critical. If I can twist your mind, then I can get you to do anything I want. So if I can get you for 13 years in a public, governmental, secular place and teach you every single day and indoctrinate you every single day, twisting and shaping and forming your mind, do you think your purpose might be different? It's not going to be in line with this, right? Because it's, it's, it's pointing to a different direction. It's pointing to a different way. And so we, the re, idea of repenting is you need to think differently. That's, that's a noun. Okay? Be different. Think different. And then we need to do the process of redemption, the verb, the action. Great. You think it's bad. Great, you don't you don't believe in this. Well, now do it. Okay, I don't think I should, you know, commit these three sins. Well, then why are you doing it? You need to change your mind and then change your actions. That's repenting. That's what repentance is. Okay, so you properly conceive and apprehend the idea, and then you fully live that out. Well, we're repenting. And what's the urgency? Why do you need to repent today? And you do need to repent today. Why? Well, because the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. Uh, this idea of the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God, uh, John 18.36, it's, it, it's a forerunner. It's, it's not of this earth. Okay, we, 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 we know that Revelation 21, 1 through 4, that the, the promise of the future, when, when, when it all comes to an end, or when we die, and, and, and what we're all hoping for in eternal heaven, right? That's the kingdom of God. And what's being said here is, it's at hand. But what does that mean? It, it's a phrase. It, it's It's near. It's the idea of how, how far can I can I reach out with my hand, right? It's it's not way over there. It's not me and claw. It's it's right here, right in front of me, right within grasp. 
the, the, you need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to change your ways. Why? Because God's coming. God's coming. Jesus Christ is returning to earth to take it for his own, to establish his kingship here on earth and in heaven. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. So we must repent. We must repent. Um, Daniel 2.44 talks about this as a, a place that will never be destroyed. This is what we're looking forward to. And it's at hand. It's very close. It's within our grasp. And look, nobody knows the time and the place. This was written 2,000 years ago. What, is, what, what does the scripture say? It's, it's here. Well, 2,000 years later. So, so the urgency is given to them, but, but it's also now given to us, right? And so God's timeline and his timetable isn't exactly like ours, and it's hard for us to understand what time is, other than to just take it at face value. And if he says, get ready, get ready. If he says it's at hand, it's at hand. And I would argue that, well, for all of us in our limited time on earth, you know, I tell my kids now, it's like, I'm dying. Right? I'm 53 years old. You know, the, the hill, it's like, I'm, 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 I'm going down now, right? Um, but, hey, when I'm older, it's going to look grimmer. Uh, but, again, I can walk outside the door, and, and it could be today. That's why I need to repent. That's why the kingdom of God is at hand. That's why we all need to be ready, because we don't know. Acts 1 reminds us that the time and the ethics aren't for us to know. Matthew 24 reminds us that it wasn't even revealed to Jesus. Okay, So we don't know when this is all coming to a crashing end. So be ready. Well, in verse 3 we said for... This is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet. Now, you've got to remember, for a Jew hearing this or reading this, to say, um, okay, this, this, what we're talking about here is what Isaiah was talking about. Now, we don't have, with all these podcasts and books and famous preachers, whether Billy Graham or whoever, we don't have a, a, a more famous prophet or preacher than Isaiah. Okay, this is like the big guns here. Everybody knows Isaiah. Remember back here, most people don't know how to read and write. They know how to talk. They know how to verbally communicate. Um, you know, tradition, a word, and Isaiah is one of the most quoted prophets there is. And verse 3 says, for this reason, the one, referred to by Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Well, this is in direct reference to Okay, Isaiah said, look, there's going to be the one that's going to cry out the wilderness. That's John the Baptist. And what he's saying is, look, this, this scripture is being fulfilled right now, today. This is what's going on, people. Okay, so Isaiah 40, verse 3, says this. This is about 500 years before John the Baptist. A voice calling, clear the way for the Lord. John the Baptist is not the show. In the wilderness, make a make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. I love that expression. Just making this path for our God, right? Cutting, cutting the road. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the ground, the rough ground, become plain, and the rugged terrain a broad 
valley, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, Call out, and he answers, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. And so this is Isaiah's prophecy, that there's going to be this one who's going to come forward, make the path, cut a road. Think of Kent Kingley right here, and John the Baptist comes, he cuts a road, and then coming out of the hills of Selah, here comes Jesus. He's coming. Right? So, be ready. Be ready. The first reason to repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is not just baby Jesus, born in the manger. Okay, that's the beginning of it. It's, it's the kingdom of God is born. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. And John the Baptist role, and he makes this plainly clear, because everybody wants to worship John the Baptist. Everybody wants to, you know, worship, um, you know, the preachers of our day or the, the authors, the Billy Grahams. It's like, no, no, no. We're pointing to Jesus, not to humanity. God's kingdom is coming, and it's time to turn from one's sins with a true contrite heart. Not just to, you know, I'm showing Charlotte how to drive a little bit, and, you know, she's doing well. And, you know, the scariest part of this driving thing are the ditches on the side, right? Because it's like, well, we, we could turn or avoid things, but it's like if something happens, you can't go right. <clears throat> See, what we want to do is we want to repent like we're swerving from an elk in the road and there's a ditch on the right. So, so we dodge, we swerve a little bit from the sin only to throw ourselves into a bigger problem. It's like, no, here's the problem. It's in front of us. Repent. Stop. Put on the brakes and turn around and go the other way. That's repenting. That's repenting. Well, the second reason to repent is there's wrath to come, wrath to come. Verse 6, and they were being baptized by him. People heard the words out. They're going to John the Baptist. They hear him talking, and they're going down into the Jordan River, and they're getting baptized as they confess their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? From the wrath to come. Well, the second reason why we need to repent is there's wrath to come. Now, why baptism? Why is John baptizing people? Well, what, what's the purpose of baptism? Baptism is that picture of, of death, burial, and then resurrection, right? One problem, Jesus hasn't died yet. Right? We read this one, like, oh yeah, cool, he's baptizing people. What's baptism? Okay, so the, the, the Jews had a concept of this, but here's John the Baptist now, like, like doing this symbolic gesture, but the interesting thing is it hasn't actually happened yet, right? So they come, and what's happening is they confess their sins, right? So they understand, look, 
Here's this body that needs to confess sin, that needs it to be washed away, cleansed, killed, so that when I walk out, I'm clean and new again, right? See, see how the concept is it's the same concept. Okay, so they're coming to John the Baptist, they're being baptized, and they're confessing their sins. What is confession? It's admitting. It's admitting, it's acknowledging, revealing, and disclosing that, that one, that generally, you're a sinner. Okay, you know that's a problem right now for the world, right? Uh, no, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm actually naturally a good person. No, 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 there is no empirical evil. The postmodern mentality is, well, whatever whatever I deem right is right, and whatever you deem right is right, and so there is no absolute right, and, and so there is no wrong. See, that's the biggest problem that people have right now is, well, I'm not the problem, you are. Right? And my dad is when I was three years old. My mom was when I was ten. My, my society was, the color of my skin was. Everybody's created the problem except me, the one who does it. And so, the confession of sins is huge. No, no, no. Uh, I'm wrong. Look, I didn't grow up in the church. I, I grew up a street rat. I knew every second of everything I did, that's wrong. Make no mistake. That's wrong. You know, the no trespassing, so going into a house that's not yours, and taking things that aren't yours, all the little... It's like, yeah, you know that's wrong. All my friends know it was wrong. Everybody knew it was wrong. We sat around in circles and talked about how to do things so we can get away with it so that we didn't get caught because we knew it was wrong and we didn't want the consequences of going to do it. We knew it was wrong. Everybody knows it's wrong. So, when you confess, you're saying, you know what? I know that's wrong. I know I broke the rule. I broke the law. I know there's consequences for that. I know that there's a, a God, a creator, who set the tone in the law, and I'm not him. I'm, I'm admitting, I'm confessing that was wrong, that was sin. That's all God asks at this point. Just confess it. Just admit it. Admit you did it wrong. We get into these conversations all the time you know, with each other, right? And the other person like, just admit you did it. Right? Kids love doing this. I didn't do it. Uh, you're the only one in the... You did it. I know you did it. Now we've got nanny cam and whatever. It's like, do I need to show the video? Right? And they'll say, that's not me. It's blurry. That's it's somebody else. Just confess. Admit and acknowledge. You can come through the door as you are. We, we say this all the time. Come as you are. But don't leave the same. Don't walk out this door the same. Confess your sin, and then turn from it, change from it. Now, listen to what happens here. So, people are coming, and they're confessing, admitting their sin. It's a great time. It's a joyful time. It's a happy time. Praise God. Baptism. All right. Everybody claps. Everybody rejoices. New person gets out of water. is made new. And here come these Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, you, you, you got to picture this. Here they come, and, and here's John the Baptist, so the preacher. Now, somebody walks to the door right now, 
And I say, you brood of vipers, who warned you? Get out. Did you see the track? Who warned you? Hey, we're all getting saved here. Who warned you guys to flee from the wrath? Go outside and close up. I don't want you to hear about this good news. We're all fleeing wrath in here. We're all getting saved. We're confessing sins and repenting. You guys stay out. Could you imagine the pastor saying that? He's the last guy that would say that, right? What's going on here? These are bad guys. These are, well, now why are they bad? Well, let's turn to Matthew, Matthew um, 23. Again, if your pastor, who's supposed to be your spiritual leader, supposed to be reading the word, following the word, obeying the word, is the worst sinner in the lot, and even more worse, diabolical at it, hypocritical. So Matthew 23, 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is what these guys are like. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven for men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for the pretense you make long prayers, therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and on land and make one cross all of that, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell is yourselves. Woe to you. I love this one. Blind guides. So I think of when I watch the news and the media. Politicians. Blind guides. You know what that is? That's a guide leading you. And he's blind. The blind dude is leading you. You're like, you know, you want to go on a little, uh, you know, tourist, you know, thing around L.A., right? And the guy driving is blind. <laughs> You know, and pointing things out. And over there, we've got, you know, the Hollywood sign over. And he's blind. And so, what are you, you? You're blind guides. You fools and blind men. More gold's more important than people. And so, these guys are, 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 are wicked spiritual leaders. They're robbing from widows, they're stealing from, from, from people. And so John the Baptist says, no, you need to repent. And because you're not repenting, wrath will come. Well, if that's the message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's the message to all of us. It's the message to all of us that if, if we don't repent, well, we suffer the same thing. We're no different than that. We need to repent. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if you're warned about the wrath to come. It doesn't matter if you know about the wrath to come. You're not going to be able to escape it. The warning signs are everywhere. Right? The warning signs are everywhere. And if you're not sure if the warning signs are everywhere, you're sitting here right now, today, being warned. 
Um, God's given us his word. He's given us the Bible. He's given us preachers. He's given us history. He's given us family and friends. Um, and we are adequately warned. He's given us creation. As God says in Romans 1, that when we walk outside and we see the sun, we, we should be in awe of the creator of the sun. When we see Mount Rainier, we're in awe of the creator of Mount Rainier. We give God the creator the glory. Well, the third reason to repent is the axe is laid at the root. You'll notice that this escalates. Verse 8, therefore, now that we just gave you that good news, that the wrath is going to come if you don't repent, therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that God is able to to uh, is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham, and the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, there's seeker-sensitive uh, passage for you. God is honest. He's tender in his mercy. Because he's tender in his mercy, he's honest. Right? This is not angry, aggressive, mean God. This is God who's warning you, who's warning us. The axe is ready. It's ready to go. What do you mean? Well, first, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. There's there's a transition here. There's an illustration here that's, that just sprung up. Okay, I want you to picture a fruit tree. A beautiful, big, flourishing fruit tree. Pick your fruit. You peach, apple, whatever. So you got this picture of a fruit tree. Right now, bring forth your repentance like a fruit tree. So you're repenting, the process of repenting, right, is the action of doing the repenting like a fruit tree. So what do we see at a fruit tree? We see fruit. We see it. It's not hard to see either. You know, when you go by and you see, a, you know, we were just in L.A. and you could see, you know, people's backyards. Here's the fruit trees, the lemons, you know, and the, they're just, you know, the orange trees. There's fruit everywhere on these trees. It's not that hard. So bring forth fruit of repentance. We should be able to see you repenting. We should see each other repenting. And by the way, don't you think for a second, because you're a Jew, that you get to just wiggle out of this. Well, I'm a Jew. I was uh, chosen by God. I'm in. Right? Or, well, you know, I mean, my dad was a pastor. I'm in. My my grandmammy, I mean, her grandma, she, she, she's in the church all her life, you know. My my. Uncle, so that has nothing to do with you. Being a Jew, if being a Jew means nothing, that's what it's saying. Don't suppose that you can say, "Well, I have Abraham as my father," right? Uh, well, you know what I say? God doesn't need you. If God wants sons of Abraham, He can make rocks in the sons of Abraham. Nice. And that's not very nice. 
but at least use people, for Pete's sakes. Rocks? I don't need you. I can get rocks to praise me. I can rise up rocks into people who worship. And this is all symbolic, of course. But the idea is, well, with God, he could. He doesn't need people who just assume that they're okay because of who they were born. It's the same for the Israelites. It's the same for us. doesn't matter if you've been at the church, in the church, by the church. Today is the day. Repent today. Why? Well, the axe is ready. Do you understand what that's saying? Not only is it saying, look, I can move on and get my own children of Abraham, but with the axe, hey, it's, you know, it's right here. It's ready to go. All I have to do is pick it up and use it on you. What? That's not very nice. You know, have you ever gone out and one of the things I love about this church is, you know, the, the men of this church, you know, they, you know, they they have firewood, right? They don't go buy it at the store. They go in the forest and they chop it down. I remember the first time uh, Jim, he's like, hey, you need some firewood? I'm like, well, actually we do. He's like, great. Um, tomorrow we're going to go get some firewood. Okay, you know, I need a pickup truck or whatever. Awesome. We go into a forest. They got chopped down trees. Take it out of the forest. And with rounds. And well, what am I going to do with the round? I don't even know what a round is. I know what it is now. But it's like that, that big old thing isn't fitting into my my oven. But we got to split that. We got to get splitters out. You know, and here comes Jim Posen and, you know, you know, all kinds of people. They got splitters. Cool. Look at that. That's neat. Got to split it up. And some of these dudes have axes. And they're sitting over there, and, you know, Shane and Arden, and, you know, they're, they're sharpening their axes. You know, we've gone where, you know, we've gone there in the morning first thing, and the guys are already there, and they're sharpening their chainsaws, and they're getting their stuff ready. It's ready to go. Okay. Let's go. Chop, chop, chop. I mean, you know, everything gets chopped down into pieces. Well, that's what's being said here. The axe is ready. <clears throat> ready to go. If you don't bear fruit, we're cutting you down. Romans 11. We just preached on this not too long ago. Romans 11. The guy takes his picture, right, of the, of the tree, and he's got, you know, Israelites, and just starts breaking them off, pruning them off. Don't need you. And he prunes Gentiles in, or he grafts Gentiles in. What happens with the branches that are broken off. Well, the word says here. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, that's the scary part, because once it's in the fire, we're not talking about pruning, I can cut you off and then put you back in anymore. We're talking about the fire. We're talking about the, the slash pit, right? Where it gets thrown in the stack, and it's worthless. The only thing to do with this pile now is to burn it. To burn it. Why? Well, the rejection is complete. They, they don't want God. God took them off. And, by the way, by staying in there, 
as part of the tree, they're contaminated, right? They're, they bring contamination, they bring rot, they're, they're ruining the rest of the tree. We, we've got to get rid of it. We've got to prune them over. They'll kill the whole thing. So it's not just about you. Let me say that again. Your sin is not just about you. There's other people that are affected by your sin. Not only in the ramifications of your sin, but then how they follow your sin. See, the, the traits of the parent usually ripple down to the children. It, it's that idea of caught versus taught. When we teach them, don't do this while we're doing it. Well, what do you think they catch? What do you think they actually then follow? So we have to be very, very careful. And so what God says is, look, here's the line. The line is here. And God walks up and says, you know what? There's nothing on this tree. There's no fruit. It's barren or cut it down. I don't know what that line is. I don't even pretend to know what that line is. That's only for God to decide what that line is. Now, you could have the Charlie Brown fruit tree, right? You know, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, it's got like two branches. Maybe you're the Charlie Brown repentance tree, and you've only got a couple little pieces of fruit, and that's enough for God, okay? But I don't want you guys to, you know what? It's God's decision to judge, and God is a tender and merciful and gracious God. And so, we keep fighting every little inch, every little tiny piece of fruit that might be on my little scrawny little tree. Okay, but I'm still in the game, right? So, the third reason we repent is be mindful, the axe is ready, it's ready to go, and you may be on the break. Well, the fourth reason to repent is, well, there's also a winnowing fork. Well, what's that? As for me, John the Baptist speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance. Okay, so John the Baptist is, he's a symbolic baptizer. His is just, it's just water to repent. He doesn't have any real, real efficacy in his baptism. Okay, but he, that is Jesus, who's coming after me, is mightier than me. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. Again, here's John the Baptist being very, very clear. I'm nothing. As a preacher, as a pastor, I'm nothing. It's, it's Jesus Christ and the Word of God. It's everything. Okay, I, I can baptize with water, but Jesus baptizes with, verse 11, the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. Well, well what's that? It's that, it's that Holy Spirit that changes your life. We're, we're born again. We're, we're, we're new in Christ, right? And so the, the, the process of spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit it is, is part of that new covenant promise, right? The new covenant where our heart changes and our heart confesses and our, and our heart repents. And, and then the Holy Spirit is, is upon us. And Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And fire. Well, what? What's that? What's that? 
Well, now some would say, well, the fire's refiner's fire. The fire is that fire that, like, you know, when you put the, the steel on the anvil, and, and there is a refiner's fire. You put the steel on the anvil and you start beating it, right? And you mold it and you mold that knife or sword or pitchfork or whatever into shape and you make a, a beautiful tool out of it. That's a kind of fire. That's a refiner's fire. We see that in scripture. But that's not this fire. Well, how do I know? How do you know? Well, if I read the next verse, it becomes really clear. This is why we have to be careful with context. And I can make context errors too. This is why you read the verse before, the verse after, the chapter before, the chapter after, the whole book. You get the whole context. Uh, the whole Bible. I mean, so context, context, context. So right here, we're very, very fortunate. It's the next verse. And it says, And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Oh, that fire. That's right in the fire in verse 10 with the axe. Oh, we're staying consistent with the... With, with, with the um, illustration here that fire's bad, that fire burns, that fire's equated to hell and eternal torture. Okay, we've got that under under our belt. So, John baptizes in this symbolic way, but here's this winnowing fork in the hand of Jesus. And his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor. Well, what's that threshing floor? It's like, okay, you get the, the weed in, you get the harvest in, right? And it's, I don't know if anybody here has separated the wheat from the chaff, but it sounds like hard work, but you can imagine, here's the pile of the wheat, and it's like, well, the only way to separate the husk that's on the wheat from the, the, the good wheat from the chaff that's worthless is they get this big old giant pitchfork, and they get it in there, and then they throw it up in the air, and the heavy wheat will just fall straight down, but the chaff, the wind will go. And so just by going like this, throwing it up, good stuff falls down, bad stuff goes that way. Cool. It's a very natural way to separate the good from the bad. Well, what happens at the end? Well, at the end, I got a beautiful pile of wheat. Awesome. There's my harvest. What do I do with this? It's, anybody eat the corn husk from corn? No. I don't suggest it either. I've never seen any recipes for it. Maybe in Iowa they've got some. I don't know. Guys in Indiana probably chew on it for fun. But I don't know if you it's, – it's worthless. Now, now listen, I, I'm, I'm not a farmer. I love the idea of farming and I use stuff, but I know one thing about farmers. They don't waste anything. Nothing is wasted on a farm. I used to work with uh, tree cows, apple farming. They have apples, and every single part of that apple was used. They squeezed the juice out of it. They cut little pieces and, and air dry it and you know, turn that into you know, apple granola bars. They, they use the pumice, which is after you crush and you know, turn it into mush, or give it to cattle, you know, it's like every part of that apple is getting used. You don't have nothing. When you have something that's worthless, it's worthless. So, he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable. 
unquenchable. It's so hot. It's so furious. Thoroughly, rigorously, utterly, absolutely, entirely destroyed. That's frightening. Our God, who saves us by grace, by grace we've been saved, right? Through faith. So grace is a gift that we do not deserve. We do not deserve the gift of grace and salvation. It's free. By grace we say through faith. That's just a, a belief in, in the mind, a confession now. By grace we say through faith. By God. God is tender and merciful. We, we deserve the punishment so bad. He gives us what we don't deserve, salvation. He doesn't give us what we do deserve, the wages of sin and hell. Okay, God is a good and awesome God. But, 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 there's a requirement. Follow him. First comes faith, right? We're saved by faith. And the result of that is when I look, I should see the fruit tree starting to bear fruit. Now, maybe we're, again, we're at a different place. Some, it's like this big old giant, luscious, big, giant, oversized, ripe fruit. And for others, it's just a couple little, little elements. Your fruit is your fruit. Hey, this is for God to judge what your fruit is. But you got to have fruit. you got to have obedience. And God calls us to repent because he's coming. He's coming back. And if you're not following him, if you don't have faith in him, then wrath will come to you. Be sure of it. If you're not sure of it, understand the axe is ready. It's ready to go. The winnowing fork will separate the wheat from the chaff. God is a God God of law. He's a God of order. He's a God of reward. And he's a God of justice. But when you clench the fist and reject him time after time after time again, there's a line. That line is a lot farther and more patient than I would be. But there is a line. And so don't underestimate that. The end result, repent. The inner man needs to be the same as the outer man. Right? What you're thinking be it. Do it. The actions must match the beliefs. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message that we see in Matthew. This great reminder of how important it is to stop doing what we know we shouldn't be doing. That we need to follow you with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength to follow in the way of the word. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. We need it. We desire it. We require it. And Lord, help us not to take advantage of that love. Just like any any child with a parent who loves them dearly. Help us to, to show how much we love them back. Our, our, the love we receive from our parents isn't isn't owed, it just comes freely and naturally and it's given and that's how you give your love. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be worthy children. We pray this in your name. Amen. As uh, Livy, as we prepare for